0: Again, uh, I always jump at the opportunity every time I get a chance to come and join my family up here in Westerville. Um, So today, uh, I would like to uh, share it with you a little bit. Uh, I want to talk today about uh, this idea of community. Uh, And I specifically have titled my sermon today, Gospel-Shaped Community. Um, And so I know as soon as you say that word, community, uh, community has become somewhat of what, what you would call a buzzword maybe a little bit in our culture and in our especially in our churches uh, we love to throw that word out community man we just want community we just want we just want to be real with each other right uh like these like authentic like these buzzwords that we hear authentic community and organic community and uh, all of these ways that we like to describe it and it's just kind of become this buzzword that we that we throw out we don't really know what it is that we mean when we say it Uh, It 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 kind of takes its own form however we want it to mean. Uh, So uh, if you've been around a church, you've heard that word. And and we we know what we, at least in your own mind, in our own minds, what we think it means. And and what what we think it looks like. Uh, But what I want to do today is I want to to kind of get underneath that word a little bit. And and I want to kind of get under uh, what what the word has to say. And build a little bit of a foundation for us. Uh, and so let's 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 dive into this today. So, in my role as a pastor, um, the church that I serve at, uh, my role is I am the community groups pastor, right? So, so I am uh, day in and day out, I I am I am in this this subject. I'm in this concept of community, and I'm constantly confronted with the good and the bad and the ugly of what church community is. Um. And I get to see all of the different variations that people have in their minds as to what they think church community should be or what they grew up and what church community was for them. And so we want to, we all like to bring our own ideas with us to church sometimes, and that's not always a bad thing. Uh, but, but primarily today what I would like to do um, is to sort of dive into the Word together and build it out from there and see what God has to tell us about it. Um. So before we do that, I want to I sort of tell you what I'm not here to do. All right? I want to tell you what I'm not here to do. There's, there's lots of things that I could do, right? So, so one of the things that I'm not here to do, I'm not here to convince you of some new program that you need to run at your church. I'm not here to convince you of some, some model of doing community uh that, that's not my goal here today. You have elders and pastors who are gifted and called that, that are going to help you that are helping you and have been helping you walk through this idea in your context. That's not what I'm here to do today. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to sell you my book on community. I don't have a book on community. Okay? I'm not here to, to get you to come to a conference on community. I'm not I don't have a conference on community, right? These are these are things that I'm not doing today, okay? So 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 just before we even start Right, I wanted to just set the record straight. Right? I'm not here to uh, necessarily critique your community. Uh, I, I'm not in any position to do that. I'm not in any position to come from Newark and show up at your church and tell you everything that you're doing wrong in your church community. That's not, that's not my goal today. Okay? So, so before we even start, maybe we can just, okay, right? He's not here to sell us anything. He's not here to, to throw us some new program that's going to revolutionize our church. That's not, what I'm, that's not my goal today. Okay, so are we on board? Everybody good? All right. That's what I'm not doing. Okay. So, but what, what I think we do oftentimes when we, when we show up and we want to talk about this concept of community, I think a lot of times what we, what we want to do is we want to, we want to run straight to the end and say, okay, now tell me what to do. How, what do we do? What does community look like? How do we live it? Tell me, tell me where to go. Tell me where to show up, right? Give me, give me some tools. Give me, some, give me what I can do. Show me what it looks like in my practical life, right? Get down to the brass tacks of the issue for me. We want to run straight to the end of the process, right? Tell me which meeting I need to come to. Tell me which uh, class I need to attend. Tell me which small group or community group or life group or focus group or e-group or care group or home group that I need to be at. Just tell, me. just tell me where to show up and I'll be there and I'll check off my box of community. I think oftentimes we, that's, that's what we want. We want to just run straight to the end. But I think if we get ahead of ourselves in that, we, we sort of miss what, what God has to say to us about it that will then inform how we then engage it. Okay? So that's what I hope to do today. So what we see... In Scripture is, God doesn't give us uh, the the ending before He gives us the beginning, right? God never gives us what we are to do without first telling us who we are, and this is going to be the key component that we're going to dive into today, right? God never tells us what to do without first telling us who we are. He never tells us, He never gives us the command without giving us a new identity. And we see this pattern play out all throughout Scripture, from the beginning to the end. This is the pattern that God uses to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in and through his church and in and through his people, right? Our doing comes out of our being. God establishes who we are, then we live in light of our identity. Tracking with me? Everybody good? All right. Loosen up, all right? It's okay. I'm not coming at you. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I promise. Okay. All right, so we see this biblical pattern playing out, right? God establishing our identity, God giving us an identity, and then calling us and equipping us to live out of the identity that he establishes in us. We see this from beginning to end, right? So let's think about Abram. God comes to a man in the Old Testament in Genesis, a man named Abram. And he comes to this man. This man is old. This man has no children. And God comes to him and he says, I'm making a covenant with you. And in fact, I'm going to give you a new name. And he gives this guy, Abram, a new name. And what's the new name? Abraham, right? He gives this man a new name. His name is now Abraham. Now, what does Abraham mean? Abraham means father of many. So God gives this guy a name that says, I'm now naming you father of many. How many kids does he have at this time? He has no kids, right? He has no children at this time. So why would God give somebody the name father of many who has no children? Right? This is, the, this is the paradigm that we're seeing, right? God is establishing in Abraham his identity. And then God is going to then work in and through that identity that he gives Abraham to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in and through him. Okay? We see this with, uh, with David. Samuel, the prophet, comes. God tells him to go and anoint David as the new king. David is a, a young boy. He's a shepherd. So, uh, Samuel goes and he anoints him. He says, this is, this is now, you are going to be the king, right? But David doesn't immediately go to the, the throne. David has to wait, right? God establishes his identity, and then he works in and through him to then accomplish that identity and, and bring that identity to fruition down the road. The same we see with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, right? The, the, the beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes, John the Baptist baptizes him. It comes up out of the water, and God says what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God is establishing his identity right at, the, right at the get-go. And from that point on, Jesus functions in terms of that identity. He is the Son of God, the one in whom God is well-pleased. That is, that is the, the identity that Jesus operates in from that moment on, within the context of the ministry that God wants to accomplish in and through him. In all of these instances, God establishes the identity first, then proceeds to work through these people to accomplish his purposes. The same is true for us. The same principle applies to us right now today. So what I want to do today is I want, to, I want to highlight two of these identities that I believe that Scripture shows us that we now have as believers, right? Two identities that God gives to us and says this is true about you now in the same way that he did for Abraham, in the same way that he did for David, the same way that he did for Jesus, on and on and on and on. He does the same thing for us. He says, now I'm giving you this new identity and I want you to live in light of it. And I'm going to equip you and and, uh, empower you to live in light of this new identity that you already have. Okay? So I want to talk about two of those identities today, right? One of those identities is family. The other identity is missionary. Okay? So family and missionary. Those are the the two identities that I want to highlight today from God's word to, to, to show to us. Uh, how that we are to live together. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is obviously Paul writing this letter of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. Um, And we see in, in, in Paul's writings, he follows this same paradigm that God gives us, right? Paul writes any church that he writes to especially here in Ephesians you can see this very clearly right Paul's obviously writing to this church to address uh, concerns to address issues that he's that they're having to to inform them about how they should live right but the first half of the book he doesn't just start right with okay here's how you to be married here's how you to live here's how you to parent here's how you to work no he doesn't say he doesn't skip right to the what do we do it would, have been, it would have been easy for the Ephesians. That's probably what they wanted when they, when they pulled out Paul's letter. Like, all right, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to see how we are to live in, the, in this new faith that we're caught up in. Tell us what to do, Paul. Right? And we would think maybe Paul would just go, okay, Ephesians chapter 1, even though he didn't write you know, chapters and verses and all that. But, right? Paul could have said, okay, uh, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Right? He could have just, he could have just jumped right to that but he doesn't. What does he do? The first three, four chapters, he's unpacking these questions of who is God? What has God done? Now, what does that make us? What identity, then, does that give us, right? Based upon the nature and the character of God, how God has acted on his people, and now the new identity that arises out of God's character in his action and in through his people, they're given this new identity, and Paul's unpacking this for them, he, he, he knows that in order for them to understand fully how to live out this calling, they need to fully understand the nature of God, they need to understand what God has done, and they need to understand the identity that they have now because of it. That's why all of those things happen at the end. All of the instructions happen after he has unpacked it. Okay, so here we are in chapter two, and Paul's right in the middle of this. Paul's right in the middle of unpacking who God is, what he has done and now he's going to talk about who they are okay so the beginning of chapter two paul says you're dead in your your trespasses and sins this is your identity apart from christ right we are dead we are following nothing but the prince of the power of the air we're gratifying only the lusts of our hearts and the desires of our own hearts and we are by nature children of god's wrath that's what we're like apart from christ and then he moves right to the next verse in verse four and he says but God being, right, he tells us who God is. This is what God is like. Because God is rich in mercy and he is loving. He makes us alive with Christ. That's how he acts upon us. And he seats us with him in the heavens. Right? And so he's unpacking these things for the, for the people to help them to see that the gospel, he's, he's unpacking the gospel for them. The good news that this new identity is going to give them. And so it, we're going to pick it up here in Verse 13 of chapter 2, and Paul's right in the middle of this conversation with them. And he says, in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one flesh through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit the Father, to the Father. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. built. On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We just sang about it this morning. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay? So here we are. Paul is unpacking this truth for them. He's, he's helping them to see how they are to live, but he's not just racing to the end. He's, he's making sure that they understand now their true identity in Christ. All that God has done for them based on his character and based on his character alone, not based on them, not based on their merits, not based on how, God, how great they were, but based on how great God was. He acted on them in grace and mercy And made them alive together with Christ. And he gives them a new identity that is now sealed and stamped with the very Holy Spirit of God. And he says, this is now your new identity. This is who you are now. Notice what he says. In verse 19. So he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outside of the the camp of God. You no longer have no access to God. You're no longer a foreigner in the kingdom of God. He says, no, because of the blood of Christ, because God has brought you near through Christ shedding his blood and making, giving you now access to the Father, you now have a new identity as what? Fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, right? Colossians 1, he transfers us from what? The kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, So not only do we have a new nationality now, we are now citizens of a new kingdom. But even deeper than that, we are now members of the very household of God. God adopts us into his very family. God unites us together as his children. As brothers and sisters united under the blood of Christ. He says that the walls of hostility have now been broken down, not only between us and God, but now between us and each other. So, so Paul's giving them the, these clues, these, these details. He's unpacking this new identity that they now have as the family of God. In chapter 1, he's, he, he, goes, he, he talks about that idea of adoption. Adoption. That God knew that he was going to adopt us, and he predestined it to happen before the foundations of the earth, that he wanted to adopt us into his family. That's our new identity now. So when we, so if we look at this identity now as, okay, wow, we're family. So, so what do we learn here, right? So I think one thing that we learn is that our community is only as strong as what it's built on. Our community is only as strong as what it is built on. Paul is saying that our community with each other in the church is built on nothing other than what? Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. That is what our community as the church is built on, and that alone that is what brings us together. What connects us as believers is the reality that we are and we, ve- we are and were very messed up, broken people before a holy God. And yet we are rescued and given new life in Christ. That's what connects us. That's, that's, that's what makes us family. We have, a, we have a shared father. Now we are brothers and sisters. So the foundation of our community must be the very gospel itself. It has to be what is at the very core of the foundation of our community. When we think about how we're going to engage with each other and live with each other, at the very core must be the very truth of the gospel. The reason that most community is shallow is because it's built on temporary foundations. We we like to build our communities on temporary foundations. Think about it. What are the ways that we like to organize ourselves, right? Right? We like, to, we like to gather and congregate on, on, based upon things that are going to go away. Don't we? Think about, think about your life. Think about the ways in which we, we establish community in, in these various forms, right? Through common interests, through income levels, through number of children that we have, through the location about where we live, the cultures that we come from, our race, Whatever it is, we, 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 put, we put ourselves into these congregations and into these communities based upon things that are temporary and that will go away or are bound to change. They're not primary things. They're not the truest things about us. They may, or may, they may be true about us, right? That doesn't mean that they are, they are false identities. They're just inadequate identities. The, the, if we're building our community upon these things, they're they're it's bound to change right if if i'm building my community around the fact that i am a, a father of three children and so i so i gather around other fathers with three children well if my if my kids move grow up and move out my my community changes or if i have another kid my community changes if i'm if i'm gathering with people based upon the fact that we're single if i get married then my community changes why because the foundation of my community has changed So all of these all of these foundations are temporary, they're temporal, they're inadequate. They're inadequate foundations on which to build true, lasting, deep community. So Paul's trying to help the church see this. He's trying to to help them to understand this. The gospel is not as the foundation. For community, not only is the gospel the foundation for the community, but it's also the what propels the community. It's the fuel for the community. The gospel gives us something always to come back to. It gives gives our community backbone. Right? It it gives our community an actual cornerstone. Right? We're not building our community upon sand. We're building it upon rock upon Jesus Christ himself, and that never changes, right? Some of the deepest relationships that I have with people in my life, if you were to line up, if you were to look at our lives on, 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 as a resume, they wouldn't match up very much, right? We, we, we have different interests, we are different ages, we're, we're, we come from different cities, we live in different cultures, we have different cultural experiences, but some of those deepest relationships I have have the same thing at the very top of the list right what is that thing Jesus Christ right that if that if that's the thing that's driving my life that is the core principle of my life and that's and that's driving me and that's my new identity that's the truest thing about me if that's the truest thing about you too then then, then we have a lot in common right We have have a foundation for our relationship that is not temporal, that is is not insufficient, that is not going to go away. So we have to have this in mind. Our identity comes into play when we are looking into our communities and we're looking at how we are to live our lives with each other. Paul is telling them, Believers, you are now family. You are now family. Now think about that, right? Think about what he's saying here. We have been adopted by God, and when we get God as our father, we get each other as brothers and sisters, and there is no opt-out clause. (laughs) There is no opt-out clause. God doesn't give two options. All right, You're you're in now. Do you want the family option or do you want to fly solo option he doesn't give us that he doesn't give us an opt-out clause we don't get to look at God and say God it's just me and you right my my personal savior me and Jesus we have this a lot of times this mentality it's just me and Jesus right now and God is saying no that's not your identity it's not just me and you it is me and you it's not less than me and you it's more than me and you Right, it's me and you and your brothers and sisters. Right, I, I have adopted you into my family, and I've given you brothers and sisters to now live with, and we don't get to choose the other option. It's not available to us. Right, so we, we see this metaphor that, that is used. Well, we 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 say it's a metaphor, right? That we say, okay, the family is li- the the church is like a family. The church isn't like a family. The church is a family. It's not a metaphor right I can't go home to Myra and be like my wife and say Myra I think we should act like a family go to my kids like I think I'm going to act like your dad right can we just can we just act like we're family people people say that we should be like family so let's act like we're family no we are family already so I'm already their dad I'm already Myra's husband It's not something that we're trying to perform. It's not something that we're trying to strive to obtain. It's already given to me. It's already in reality now that I live in. So the task is now how do I live in light of what's true already about me? How do I live in light of it? If we are already family with each other, how does that change how we live? We have to ask ourselves these questions. How does it change the practical ways in which we look at each other, in which we live with each other, in which we view not only our context here, but the greater church at large? God doesn't just say, okay, now you're family with the the people within your local context of your church. That's not what he says. We are family with the church. We have brothers and sisters all over this globe. That changes how we interact it changes how we view each other from the from the smallest interaction to our perspective for the church worldwide it changes how we see things it has to it's not something that we get to step into and engage sometimes and then step out of sometimes we are in it it is a permanent identity now it, you are you are now made into a new creation and part of being in part of that new creation is you are in the family of god and it's not going away. So, what would we do differently? How would we live with each other differently? How would we think about our our time differently? How would we think about our resources differently? How would we think about the ways in which we talk to each other? The ways in which we engage each other, the ways in which we pray for each other, the ways in which we serve each other. How does it change the way that we think? So first identity, family. The second identity that I think we see in Scripture that God gives us is not only are we family, but we are a family of missionaries. We are a family of missionaries. In Second Corinthians, if you have your Bible's turn there. Second Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter five. Second Corinthians five again we see this paradigm playing out over and over all throughout scripture God establishing our identity and then calling us and equipping us to live out from the identity that's already true about us and we can't get that backwards right if we get that backwards we're in trouble if we think that we somehow have to perform and 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 live our lives in such a way as to earn our identity from God, we're in trouble. That's works-based righteousness, right? If we look at it from the opposite perspective, and we think, okay, if I can just uh, show up and be a good brother and sister at church, maybe then God will accept me into his family, and maybe then God will give me his favor. If I can perform, if I can do what God wants me to do, then maybe he will give me a new identity. That's the opposite of the gospel, right? The opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, no, in Christ you already have the new identity. It's, we, we get the identity first, and we live out from it. We cannot get them backwards. We cannot strive to earn something that can only be received freely through grace. It's paramount. Okay, so our second identity. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Therefore... And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here we see the second piece of our new identity. The second identity that God gives us now. We are now given the ministry of reconciliation. We are now sent out as ambassadors for Christ. We are are a family who is brought in to the table. We are given uh, the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal of that new identity. And then we are sent out. Right? Matthew 28. Jesus tells the disciples, go. And as you are going, make disciples. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them all the things that I have commanded you, things that I have taught you. Make disciples. Go out into the world and make disciples. Not on your own. Not as individuals who are trying to muster up the strength and the fortitude to do it. No. He says wait for the Holy Spirit. Get get what you need. The the new identity that is sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then go out and out of the, uh, the identity that I'm giving you now as disciple makers to go out and be ministers of reconciliation, preaching and proclaiming the good news to our not yet brothers and sisters. This is the second part of this new identity. God, so, so why is this? Where does this come from? Why are we missionaries? Because God is a missionary. Why are we a family? Because God is a family. We are, we are imaging his very nature and his very being. God, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, right, God says, let us create man in our image. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to the Godhead, the perfect community, the perfect family. He doesn't need to create us, but out of the overflow of that love and out of the overflow of that character, that flows out now into us. And he says, let us create them in our own image to be like us. So we bear these things These new identities aren't just new fabrications that God came up with. They are based on the very character and nature of God himself. We are mirror images of his character in these ways. So so we are family because God is family. We are missionaries because God is a missionary. In Philippians, right, it talks about Jesus left his home, He left what was comfortable for him. He left glory, right? And he puts on flesh and he comes to earth and he humbles himself, right? He humbles himself even to death on a cross. And he does not come to be served, he came to serve. That's a missionary. Jesus was, was was a missionary. He came on a mission. God sent him. And commissioned him as a missionary from glory into our reality. Jesus is a missionary. So why are we missionaries? Because Jesus is a missionary and we are now united with him. So we image that. That's the new identity that he has given us. Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians that you are now, you have the ministry of reconciliation, the same ministry that Jesus had. And now we are ambassadors for the king going out as sent ambassadors, as representatives, carrying this good news to others, to our not yet brothers and sisters, as family. We go as family, as family of missionaries. These are are identities that God is, is reminding us of. So we are saved and we are cleansed and we are reconciled to God and we are adopted into his family Right? But that doesn't just then give us the bus ticket to heaven. Right? That doesn't just say, we don't just check out at that point. We say, oh great, I got, I'm, I got saved. So the best thing for me now to do is just stop existing. No, that's not what he's saying. God's saying, I've, I've adopted you into my family, and I'm giving you this identity as family, but I'm also giving you this other identity as missionaries to go out. And I'm going to now use you, I'm going to use you, my family, as ambassadors for me to to speak on the fact that reconciliation with God has now been made available through Christ. That is our calling now. That is our mission now. Maybe that's across the country. Maybe that's across the globe. Or maybe that's across the street. Maybe that's across the room at work. God has equipped and and sent all of us as called missionaries. No matter our context. No matter where he has us now. Some of us, he will undoubtedly send overseas. Some of us will go far, but some of us will stay and be missionaries right here. But we all have to have the same mindset. God doesn't call some. He doesn't call everyone as family and some as missionaries. He calls everyone as family and everyone as missionaries. Some of us go far, some of us stay here, some of us do both. So we have to allow that new identity then to begin to shape us and change us. In the same way that our identity as family begins to shape us and change us, our, our new identity as missionaries begins to shape us and change us. So, so what, what if we were missionaries, right? What if God did call us to go overseas? What if he calls us all to China tomorrow and he sends us all an email, right? And it's a miracle. God sends us all an email and he says, okay, everybody who was at that service, I'm sending you all to China to, and you're leaving next week. What would we do? How would we think about that process? What would we, how would we engage that, right? That would change the way that we think. That would change the way that we think about our resources. That would change the way that we think about how we're going to engage now this culture. We got got to learn the language. We got to learn the culture. We got to learn how to love these people. We got to learn. uh, We got to figure out some way to get over there. We got to. We got to sell all of our resources. We got. We got to push everything in. You can't half be a missionary in China. You got to be a whole mission. You can't. You can't do half and half. Right? Why don't we have that same approach right now in Westerville or in Newark or in Columbus or wherever we're at? Do we, are we approaching it with that same mindset that we are a called and sent missionary right here? Is that how we think? I know I don't most of the time. I, I, I have to continue to come back to this and have God remind me and say, Andrew, this is your new identity now. You are a missionary. You're a, you're a missionary to your next door neighbor. <laughs> how easy is it for me to forget that, right? Right? So, so we, we just moved into our new house about a year ago, and uh, we live in sort of a weird combo of like this neighborhood, but it's sort of in the country, um, and so the houses are sort of just far enough apart to where you kind of have a good excuse. You don't run into your neighbors a lot, right? I, it's not like we're always bumping into each other, like getting out of our cars, so it's kind of, you just give the wave, hey, right, so, so you kind of have that built-in excuse but so so one day i'm just out and i'm just mowing my grass and and i i just kind of feel the spirit just kind of telling like like man it's been a while like like are you gonna you know are you gonna reach out to your neighbors like you've had some conversation with them but are you gonna be how intentional are you gonna be with your neighbors and i'm just like oh, they just you know they're, they're, just, they're those types of neighbors who are just they're just content with just sort of doing their own thing and most of the time that's me too right They're just sort of content with doing their own thing so it's easy for me to be like well god they don't they don't really want to engage i've tried to start up conversations with them but but god's like reminding me no this is your identity this is your identity you're a missionary now right here i've put you in this neighborhood on purpose i have called you and i've sent you here on purpose it's not an accident that you're here it's not an accident that they live beside you so i'm praying okay god like just help me like I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't, I don't have—I'm not good at starting conversations. I'm an introvert. I'm terrible at small talk. God, you got to help me, right? So I'm just praying, and I'm just talking to God on my mower, and I get done and go inside. Don't, don't really think much about it. The next day, I go out to the mailbox. I open up my mailbox, and I pull out the mail. I'm like, this isn't our mail. Sure enough, right, I look at the address on the mail that's in our mailbox— and it's my next-door neighbor's mail. I'm like, really, God? Like, the next day, you're going to do this? Like, you're going to give me his mail and make me go over there and have a conversation with him the next day? Like, really? And he's like, yeah. Right? So God is going is to help you live out this identity that he's giving you. He's going to give you—are cre- we praying for opportunities to speak to our neighbors? Are we praying for opportunities to share with our neighbors and our coworkers and our, and our schoolmates and our family— God wants to do that in and through us. He has called us and equipped us and given us this identity so he can work it out through us. He's not asking us to just figure it out on our own. He's saying, no, rely on me. I will help you. I will give you what you need. You already have all that you need. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead for crying out loud. He lives in the same power. The Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of us as believers. We have all that we need. We have more than we need to accomplish what God has, has called us to and equipped us to. Do you think Abraham was able to have kids? The guy was 100 years old, right? The guy was 100 years old and God says, you're going to have a bunch of kids. And, he's like, and his wife literally just starts laughing. Like, are you kidding me? That is, that is preposterous. And God's like, no, I am going to accomplish in and through you based upon the identity that I have established in you. It's going to come to fruition. It's going to happen. So, how does that change how we're thinking? Is it? We begin to see our life and calling through the lenses of these identities. We begin to see church and church community differently we begin to see it less and less as an event and less and less as a collection of events and more and more of an all-of-life endeavor. It's an an all-of-life endeavor. We do not come to church. We are the church. Yes, we come and we gather together. And this is amazing. We get to worship together. And we get to preach and proclaim the word of God. And we get to gather together as a very testimony of the gospel of itself. As a very display. This is a display of the gospel. This is a trophy of God's grace in this room right now. God's grace is on display. The fact that we're even in here together. That is a display of the gospel. But this isn't it. This isn't the fullness of what church is. Church is not just a collection of events. Church is an all of life endeavor god did jesus didn't come and die for a building he came and died for a people that he gave now a new identity to be the church to be the very church of god to be his very body that goes out preaching and proclaiming and gathering together and worshiping and scattering out and preaching and proclaiming and gathering together and scattering we see this rhythm gathering and scattering gathering and scattering this is, the, this is the rhythm that God has put into his church. I feel sometimes we either want to rely too heavily on one or the other. It's easy for that pendulum to swing too far one way or the other. Well, I'm just all about getting out in the community. Or I'm just all about coming in here, right? No, God is saying we, we, we do both. We are a family that comes together. We are, we are a family that, that loves each other and gives our lives to each other and commits to each other to serve each other. stays at the table with each other through the hard times and through the rough spots we say no i'm your family i'm staying at the table even when you offend me even when i offend you i'm staying at the table i'm in why not because we're trying to earn we're trying to be like family no because we already are family that's why because god has made us family and that's not going to change So our, our relationship with Christ is personal, but it's never meant to be private. It's personal, but it's never meant to be private. So I just want to leave you with a couple, a couple of thoughts real quickly. A couple of things that I feel like God has t- is teaching me based upon these, these two identities that he feel like, that I believe he has given us as family and as missionaries. There are more, but I think those are, when we think of how we engage with each other and how we engage with the world around us, those are, those are two very important identities that God has given us. So I want to leave you with three thoughts. I want to leave you with three things that I believe are sort of characteristics or markers that we can look to uh, to put into place in our own hearts and in our lives based upon a, a, a gospel-shaped community, okay? So what I want to do is I want to read a couple of scriptures to you, and then, I, and, then I, and, then we'll, and then we'll talk about these three things. You don't have to turn to all these. So I'm going to read some scriptures to you. James 3, verse 18. James 3, 18 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. First John seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Philippians 2:4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How many of those things can happen outside the context of community? Those are all commands that we see. Those are commands that that God is giving us through his word. To confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. To bear one another's burdens. To walk in the light together. So that we can have fellowship with one another. To think not of our own interests, but of the interests of others. How are we going to do that without the context of a community to do that within? We need each other. We need each other. God has designed his church in such a way that we need each other. We have to have community in our lives. Whatever shape that takes, again, I'm not here to prescribe to you some model or some program in which this looks. That's not my task today. But what I feel like the word is telling us is we need each other. There's a quote by a pastor, his name is Paul Tripp. I want to read this quote to us, and I feel like this quote cuts right to the core. Paul Tripp says this, now, Paul Tripp, if, you, if you're familiar with Paul Tripp, Paul Tripp is, has been in ministry for decades, 30, 40 years. He's been a pastor. He's been a seminary professor. He, he, he's, I mean, he's like the guy, okay? He's like the guy. If you, if you were to stack up resumes, like Paul Tripp's resume is better than all of our resumes, okay? Like he's the guy. He's, he's stylish. He's just, the, he's just the coolest dude, right? So, so, but, but this is the, at the, towards the end of his, his ministry, and he, he's coming to this realization, right? This is what he says. I have come to understand that I need others in my life. I know, I now know, that I need to commit myself to living in intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I now know it's my job to seek this community out, to invite people to interrupt my private conversation, and to say things to me that I couldn't or wouldn't say to myself. This is a a guy, he's not just starting out, right? This is a guy who's come to this realization 30, 40 years in, who's been at the pinnacle of evangelical Christianity. You would look at him and be like, if anybody doesn't need it, it's Paul Tripp, right? I mean, if there's anybody who can just sort of do his own thing, it's got to be Paul Tripp. It's got to be him. And he's like, no. What have I learned? I have to have people in my life who are intentionally intrusive. Family is intentionally intrusive, aren't they? Right? If you have little kids, you understand how intentionally intrusive family can be. It's, it's intentional it's intentional there's an intentionality that's built into it when we understand the fact that we are family right there's an intentionality that's built into that right so it's intentionally intrusive and it's Christ centered and it's grace driven it's built upon the foundation of Jesus it's built upon the foundation of the gospel itself and it's redemptive it's for my redemption it's for my good it's not to beat me down it's not to destroy me it's for my good, right? And he says, I need people to come into my life and I need to seek those people out who are willing to say things to me and interrupt my private conversation and say things to me that I am not willing to say to myself or I'm unable to say to myself because I can't see them. We all have blind spots. We all have planks sticking out of our eye, so to speak, that we can't see on our own. And God has set up his church in such a way is to give us brothers and sisters who have the very same spirit living within them to come to us and speak truth to us and interrupt our private monologue and say, you are not believing the gospel correctly today. You are forgetting who you are. You are forgetting your identity. You're forgetting the foundation of Christ. You're not remembering. Let me come and help you remember as your brother, as your sister. So I think there are three things that we should look to to have integrated into our lives and into our communities. And they're nicely alliterated for you, okay? So they're easy to remember. There's three things. Purpose, proximity, and permission. Purpose, proximity, and permission. These are things that I think we all need to be striving to have in our own lives, in our own communities. Based upon the identities that God has given us, these are good ways that we can, we can check and see, are, are we actually living out these identities? So, so purpose, right? So what's the purpose? The purpose is easy, right? The gospel's the purpose, right? The purpose is that the saints would be edified, right? Ephesians 4, that we could grow up into Christ in every way, right? That we could speak the truth in love to each other so that we could come to the full knowledge of Christ and we can grow up into him in every way. That's what it says, in every way, right? Not just a couple of ways, not just some ways, in every way, all of our lives are now being submitted to Christ and and through the community, the redemptive community that God will put around us, we are now growing up into Christ in all of those ways, the ways that we are aware of and the ways that we're not aware of. So that is our purpose. So it's, so it's, it's, it's for us, but the purpose of our community is also for others. Right? It's not just an inward community. It's not just a family. It's a family on mission. Right? If we're just a family, then we lose sight of the mission. We have to have both of these intention. We're not just about ourselves. Are we about edifying the saints and we're about discipling one another? Absolutely. Absolutely we are. But that's not the extent of it. Right? We are discipling as we're going. As we're being sent, as we're on mission, so that's the purpose. The purpose is the gospel, and so we can grow up, so that we can so that we can be missionaries. But within that purpose, we gotta have proximity. We gotta have proximity with one another. Tim Keller gives us a helpful paradigm here. He gives us this, this paradigm of knowing and loving knowing and loving right if if somebody knows me but doesn't love me if somebody knows everything about me but doesn't love me that's a dangerous person right that's our greatest fear is to be known but not loved that's a bad spot to be in but on the other side of that if i love you but if i don't really know you Then it's always just gonna be a superficial love. I'm not really going to be able to love you the way that I should, or the way that I could, or the way that you need if I don't know you. This is why we need proximity. We have to be thinking through our lives and think are there people who have proximity to my actual life? Or, Or do people have proximity to me? Do they see how I live my life? Do they see how I parent? Do they see how I engage with my wife? Do they know how I am at work? Do they know how I handle my finances? Do they know what I'm looking at on the computer? Do they know my life? Is there people that have proximity to my life to be able to speak to me and actually know what they're speaking to? Do we have purpose? The purpose is the gospel, but do we have proximity within that purpose? Are we living close enough to one another? Are we setting up our lives in such a way that people have access to our lives? It's easy for us. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to isolate. It's so easy to show up to the event, put on the happy face, and go back home to the mess. It's so easy. Are we intentional about it? Are we inviting people in? And that's the final thing. Permission. Are we giving others permission to speak into our lives? With the purpose in mind, people who have actual proximity to us, who who are able to speak to us in a constructive way, and we are giving them permission, and we're saying, I need you to say things to me that I don't want to hear. I'm giving you permission right now, so that way in six months when you have to do this, you can point back to this conversation, and you can say, you told me to do this. Right? Because when we're confronted with someone, what's our natural instinct? Well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me pull out my list of things that you're struggling with. Right? No, but if, there, if it's a person, a person that we know is committed to us, and, they're, and they have, they're, they're our family, and they're staying at the table with us, and they're for our good, and they have proximity to our lives, so why wouldn't we want them to, to speak things to us? We should, we should be begging for that. Please. Because it's going to lead us into what? Joy and and repentance, which leads us into joy, which leads us into repentance, which leads us, right? This is is what we should be clamoring for. So we have to have these three things. These, These are three things that I feel like we, as believers, we have to have these concepts in our mind when we think about how do we live with each other? How do we live out of these identities that God has given us as a family on mission? right because when we have that purpose and we have that proximity right we're going to start to see these things we're going to start to see these you ever been on a short-term mission trip you ever been on a short-term mission trip the first couple days it's going pretty well right everybody's happy we're in a new place it's fun it's a new adventure after about the third day of like painting walls and shoveling concrete right what happens right within that proximity we start to see okay all right this guy is kind of a jerk all right you're kind of a jerk i didn't realize that until right now but now that i've been with you for the past three days non-stop and we've been working together we've been on mission together i'm starting to see a little bit about who you are right you see that on those mission trips how about the third or fourth day stuff starts coming up to the surface right and we start bumping into each other why because we're in proximity with each other Right? We're, we're on mission together we're as a family. We're, and these things are going to come to the surface. And these are opportunities, right? These are opportunities. This is God bringing things to the surface for us to see so that we can have them refined. But what happens on those mission trips, is it, it, the mission trip rises or falls whether or not we have permission to speak to each other. Doesn't it? If we have permission and say, hey, man, you're being a real jerk. Let's, let's, let's figure out what's going on in your heart right now. And then right, we, we, we can we can we can write things and by the end of it we're deeper now because we've wrestled through these things together. And, and, and I know that, man, that was that was good for me to see that and have my sin exposed and to have somebody come alongside of me and, and show me grace and, and point me to Jesus. But if not, we go back home and we're like, I am done with those people. Those people are crazy. I don't want anything to do with those people because we were on mission and we had proximity with each other, but we didn't have permission to speak to each other in light of the gospel, so I am out of here. Right? This is what we've got to have all three of these things. I think they're all important for us as we're thinking through how we're engaging with one another. They're all necessary. But they're all necessary not as ends in and of themselves. Right? We don't start there. We don't start with what program should we run. We don't start with these markers. We don't start with our lives. We start with reflecting back and remembering who we are. We are a family on mission together. So let's not forget that. Let's engage with those realities. Let's allow, those, let's allow Christ to remind us of those realities and begin to shape our lives in light of those identities. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I do thank you. I praise you, God. I praise you for my brothers and sisters here at this, in this body that I love so dearly and, and their pastors and their elders who you've given to them that are such good brothers and friends to me and I know their hearts, God, and I know, I know that they're passionate about seeing this community flourish. So God, through your word today, I pray that you would help us all, help us all to remember, God, who we are, the identity that you have given us, not based upon what we have done, this is not an earned identity. This is an identity freely given through only through Jesus Christ and his grace and his work on our behalf to establish us and to, and to, and to raise us up with Christ in the heavens and make us new creations alive together with Christ and given an inheritance with him forever. So God, we praise you in light of all that. And as we come together now to feast at your table, remind us afresh of these truths and these realities, God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' perfect holy name, amen.